Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland. I am one of the co-founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. We're here to discuss the rest of Monarch Legacy of Monsters. With me for that adventure is Monty Cooper, who is with Goodwin, also a relative of Marion Cooper, who many of us know and love his work. And joining us for the first time is Kate Bridle from the Legal Burnout Podcast, a great content creator and fun on TikTok and Instagram. Kate, how are you tonight? I am doing well. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. A little intimidated, but mostly, mostly excited. <laughs> it, it's we've interacted for a couple of years now online, and it's like we never spoke until starting to record. Mm -hmm. So like that's a weird feeling. Uh, but Monty and I have been doing this for years. Uh, Comic-Con, WonderCon, and uh, Monty did AlienCon. So yeah, I do Brothers in Arms. <laughs> I love we it. Can, we can still soon start talking about B-17s with Masters of the Air. So, uh, but with that, let's get to the issues from the latter half, of, middle and latter half of Monarch. San Francisco gets stomped on in Godzilla 2014. We see what's left of San Francisco. And Monty and I discussed this with the last episode we did. And we didn't realize how close we were to being right. So we were not consulted. We were not paid. <laughs> but my God, were we in the ballpark with... Alameda Point being a FEMA uh, landing place for like like post Katrina. It's like the same thing in Alameda. I would not be surprised if the USS Hornet had been deputized for people because <laughs> you could get a thousand you could get a thousand people on board the Hornet pretty fast. And like the day after, where are you going to put everyone? Like you can't just camp out in the baseball stadium. So. Uh, there's also the mild radiation thing and a, a nuke did go off the coast uh, that should have created a nuclear tsunami, but we'll we'll handle that later. Uh, <laughs> but California's kind of bad off because water is important. If the bay is irradiated, that can go up to the delta and take out the farmland. Oh. And all the fresh water that's sent to Southern California is now off limits as well. California might shrink. Where would those people go? Would they move to Austin? Would they go to Monterey? Like, where would they all go? We get a peek of that because not everyone wants to leave their expensive property in San Francisco. So let's talk about condemnation now Kate you you had some thoughts about this as well <laughs> could you want to jump in my main thought would be what a disaster it would be to try and rehouse everyone so I for context I did homelessness prevention work in Los Angeles during COVID so I was um yeah it's rough part of why I burned out uh so it it was a, an absolute mess, right? Because there were all of these, and San Francisco already has a massive unhoused population, right? So you're already got people who don't have homes. Now you have a bunch of new people who don't have homes, who are used to having very expensive homes. 
Um, there were a couple of projects in LA during COVID to emergency house people. They took over some motels. There was a project called Project Home Key. Um, and a lot of those hotels were basically like prisons. Like they erected fences around them. They weren't letting people have visitors. It was bananas. So I can only imagine in <laughs> en masse, like what a disaster California would be because man, they did not get their stuff together during COVID, but you know. It was an unprecedented pandemic event, but as would a Godzilla attack be. So I, I just don't think that, I think it would be a mess. And I, I think it would depend on like if other states had laws allowing people to come in and get discounted housing or any kind of housing benefit, maybe they would say, you know, we have an allotted number of Section 8 housing vouchers for folks who are refugees from G-Day. Um, they do that sometimes for folks who are fleeing from under other emergencies. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know who would take them. Maybe Washington and Oregon. I think they probably have the most progressive policies on it. I think back to Katrina because mm -hmm. that was that was wild because we, you know, when, as a California attorney, we don't let people in. Like we don't have reciprocal <laughs> rights with other states. Yeah. We allowed lawyers from other states to practice in California if they were displaced from Katrina. Now, there was a variety, a whole bunch of rules with it. I'm, I don't have all the text in front of me, but we made accommodations for people who had a hurricane take out their practice. And the, people were fleeing to different states. We took people in, we as in California, and people went all over. And we you know people rallied together which is one of the positive qualities about americans that when something bad happens we generally rally and help others so i would hope something like that's taking place because you know vegas got stomped on yeah the path of the mutos up to san francisco you know it's not exactly clear what route they took but they did a lot of property damage on the way and with airplanes falling out of the sky from EMPs going off. So like there's, there'd be a big mess, a big multi-state mess, but San Francisco could be an, an irradiated mess, which raises, well, oh, go on. Can I, yeah, I do want to point out something. It's very topical to put the issue you just raised because only two weeks ago, the United States Supreme Court took up as a uh, the case City of Grants Pass, Oregon versus Johnson, which is definitively going to decide what is cruel and unusual punishment for involuntary removal of the of the unhoused. Uh, mm. It's not, it, and it, it originates Grants Pass, Oregon. It covers the Ninth Circuit, and it's already generating an enormous amount of attention, particularly here in San Francisco, because of the homeless situation. Yeah, um, and the Ninth Circuit has said that if you displace uh unhoused without having adequate uh ability to house them in some sort of alternative situation it is cruel and unusual and therefore the the uh government doesn't have the right to remove them that is the precise issue that will be decided by june mm -hmm. so and it's interesting that it originates out of this sort of our very own backyard you will have to a degree an answer to at least one of the high level questions you 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 raised don't know which way it'll go but i can't tell you how topical it is very interesting the issue of just moving people 
It's like, we don't like them. Too bad. We'll just get rid of them. It's like, that is so abhorrent. Uh, and especially when they're the options that people try to present to mm-hmm. treat the, uh, you know, again, using terminology unhoused as opposed to homeless. Uh, there's, again, there's the the intent for compassion because a lot of those folks in the Bay Area are working homeless. Like they they can't afford the insane rents and they are struggling. Oh, yeah. So well, when tech moved in, it was like such a, it's what's happening in Seattle as well. Um, I mean, Seattle had an issue before, but now it's it's really coming to a head in Seattle because all tech is moving in and the prices in Seattle have gone absolutely bananas, much like they did in San Francisco. And people are are being driven out and kind of sectioned off into different areas of the city. Well, I will, Rich, I mean, it's, it's an interesting historical fact. San Francisco has gone through the situation seen in Monarch at least once in a prominent situation that people have forgotten. In the 1908 earthquake, mm-hmm. there was, in fact, a, a um, refugee camp in the panhandle of San Francisco west of, of Van Ness because the western part of the city was the only part that wasn't burned or obliterated by the earthquake. And the it, and, and it was a very interesting large-scale there, I, I assume that Monarch may have even taken some inspiration from the even archival information that exists from those immediate six months after the earthquake. Well, and you would think with Monarch being around for so long, knowing these attacks are a possibility, right? That maybe they would have, I mean, they have this emergency system in place already that gets set off, which is a whole other thing. But like maybe they already have some kind of contingency plan with, cause they do work with governments. They work with scientific agencies. Like maybe they already have some places set up. I, I, think I think that's giving them too much credit. I mean, yeah, we... <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> I mean, Katrina's exhibit a of like, wow, we had all this material and you still got to yeah. get it. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there are other, I mean, it was the mayor of New Orleans who felt the school buses weren't nice enough to evacuate people in. So thanks. Uh, good call. Uh, <laughs> so again, there's there's that factor of dumb local politics. Uh, but there's the bigger issue of how do you respond to something you can't imagine? Like the military and, and now emergency services do drills for like a mass casualty event. Mm-hmm. No one practices for a giant monster attack because no one imagines it. We we don't have you know um, emergency drills for a UFO incursion. Like we just don't do that. Now that maybe there's some of. fun. Again, there could be some really fun <laughs> people at the Pentagon who are coming up with stuff, and they'd be cool to hang out with, but. That's not public. So, yeah, you know, we have Shaw's character, you know, call Monarch out for let them fight. That was your plan. What if Godzilla lost? Like mm-hmm. you had no, and 50 years and you guys didn't come up with anything. Like you had no anti-Godzilla weapons. You had nothing. Because um, a nuke only makes them hungry. Like, why would you, 
you know, like, are we dealing with big kinetic weapons at this point? Uh, you know, like a giant. Yeah, and I don't arrow? know why like, I would even have that faith in, like, because I, you know, I'm a military spouse and I have military branches that have been around for a very long time and things come up and you're like, wait, you didn't, what? How did you not already have a plan for that? Or how's that technology not already better? Or, you know. Well, it's you get siloed. You had pre Pearl Harbor. You had the battleship mindset of, and I have the Life magazine from 1940 with the Pacific Fleet doing maneuvers, including the USS Arizona on full display, talking about how awesome their big guns were, and that didn't protect them from um, the aircraft carrier. And when Mitchell did the bombing run to prove to the Navy that it could work, their reaction was to court-martial the man, uh, as opposed to going, the world just changed, we need to come up with a new battle plan 20 years in advance. And he was punished for it. So, them not coming up with an anti-Godzilla plan over 50 years doesn't seem unreasonable. (laughs) But... Let's talk condemnation. Uh, Now, I've worked on a couple inverse condemnation cases, so I find this stuff fascinating and weird. And this is from a blog post I did uh, after King of the Monsters came out. So in real San Francisco, we have, you know, over 870,000 people living there in this time period. You have a nuke go off. You have two carcasses of giant monsters. What happens to the Bay Area? <laughs> like, and aerial shots from Monarch show like a beat up cruise ship on its side. Bad things have happened. So, a state such as California cannot take private property without just compensation to the property owner. And that's the California Constitution, Article 1, Section 19A. However, the state can take private property without compensation under its inherent police power if responding to an emergency or uh, readying uh, environmental contamination that poses a threat to public health and safety. I think a nuclear explosion and giant dead monsters would fall into this category of we're condemning this area. Now, people who vote might have a get very upset about that, but what do you do? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is irradiated. You can't live here anymore. <laughs> like, we're done. Uh, and again, that's where FEMA would have to step in. And it would be unacceptable politically for any president and any Congress, they say, you guys are on your own. Now, there are senators that have no problem doing that. And then when it happens to their state, they, they'll they go beg for money, but they'll leave others to die. Uh, but generally, that stuff passes because you cannot have a, you know, a nuclear incident with giant monsters and just schluff it off and saying it's okay that you're all homeless in San Francisco. Uh, so there's a lot there for trying to protect public health and that's a state issue but the feds are going to have to get involved on the FEMA side because it's it transcends any normal problem like this isn't just like an airplane crashing in a neighborhood like we have case law about that it is a problem though because of who 
took the hit. Like if you can't lose San Francisco, San Rafael, Sausalito, like you can't take that. I mean, that's a lot of people. Now it's unclear if the peninsula is harmed or Silicon Valley. So which has a larger population center. I mean, with that amount of radiation, you have to think like. It, <clears throat> it depends on the yield. Yeah. Uh, uh, and like well, these were older nukes that were analog. So um, like my dad was at Lockheed for decades and he, he said you can make a nuclear weapon with low yield radiation. I don't know how to do that. That's a different Gilliland, and he's gone. But what were they using? Were they just What's trying to get the, the yield from force? the kaiju carcasses? I mean, yeah. they feed on radiation, so presumably they give some off. Yeah, well, and the oh, go on, Mountie. I'm going to be the you guys can be the half glass empty. I'm going to take the half glass full. All right, it's, it's San Francisco in 1989 went through a mini version of what you are talking about. And here's what happened in the wake of Loma Prieta. Oh, the okay. the uh, Embarcadero Freeway came down. You will not find anybody in San Francisco who doesn't think that was a great thing. <laughs> that highway it was an eyesore. <laughs> it was a traffic <laughs> problem. And guess what? It turned into the redevelopment area, something that does come from inverse condemnation mm -hmm. that became the Embarcadero. The Embarcadero rejuvenated the entire east side of San Francisco, leading to the development of Oracle Park, as well as the entire downtown or downtown redevelopment. So now I'm going to take the view that San Francisco has recovered and actually and economically benefited from a prior disaster and therefore has the hopefully forward thinking to turn Godzilla and, and the carcasses into a monetary situation where they can get federal government assistance, use condemnation. We can see from Monarch that people are still able to go into the city without any radiation protection, which would suggest that the, True. That the uh, um, radiation levels are relatively low. Uh, something that does seem to be consistent with throughout Monarch, these mo these monsters eat atomic bombs, but don't seem to radiate them. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, and frankly, you have two dead carcasses. Be original. You have the only two dead monster carcasses in the United States. Ringley Brothers, all of these. We are a, a country that has turned entertainment out of everything. You now just move them over to the Embarcadero right next to Oracle Park, and you're going to have all the people in the world going out to see baseball and dead monsters. I believe in the half glass pool. That's all I'm going to say. The, I mean, I remember old Embarcadero and the Nimitz Freeway with the double-decker. So I also believe, Maxim, that money will find a way. That hmm. money will find a way. And so, yeah, th there can be good things that come from having to rebuild. The One other small thing, can I add? Yeah, sure. Most homeowners, they won't have in California insurance for earthquake. They will be very lucky if they have flood. They won't have for most natural disasters. 
Interestingly enough, they probably do have in their policies animal attacks. Now, insurance companies don't define the animal. If you happen to be 700 feet tall, reptile, <laughs> and fire-breathing, you are still an animal. I think you're going to you're going to take down State Farm. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> there's but there's also nuclear exclusions and policies. Oh. So it's going to turn on was your house damaged? Because the like look at Hawaii from 2014. If the tsunami when Godzilla comes ashore causes damage and they don't have flood insurance, there they there's no recovery there. However, Godzilla steps on the house, there could be recovery. So like there's <laughs> the policy issues get very strange and that would be heavily litigated just as Katrina was of, you know, figuring out did the levee break and thus cause the flood or did the storm cause the damage to your house? Right. Like the, that's going to be the fight uh, with the policyholders. So now the, the other issue that comes up with, you know, San Francisco is the issue of martial law and we had that in 19, or, uh, 1906 because there was looting and the mayor was like, shoot people in sight. So like things got bad quickly before they got better. This, in the, like Katrina had looting. I'm like, what's going to happen, you know, post San Francisco? And the answer is probably a little of everything. Um, plus just trying to stay alive, uh, you know, mm -hmm. That would be my read, my guess that that you would have guys like the um, Godzilla nineteen eighty four. You have like the homeless guy who's, you know, going through Tokyo and eating at fine restaurants because Godzilla's chased everyone out of Tokyo. You could have things like that taking place. Uh, you know, and, and when they go into the city, you know, there's references about squatters and cats running all over the place. So like mm -hmm. there's, um problematic. Uh, the other thing that I've wondered about is deputizing people. Uh, how do you clean up the mudos? I mean, does the mayor declare, like, just pull everyone in? All right, everyone gets a chainsaw and we're going to cut these bad boys up and get them out of here. Like, what do you do uh, in that situation? Um, do let the military handle it? So again, there would have to be California legislature and uh, Congress would get very busy uh, with these cleanup issues uh, that would span at least two states, three states, because you got Hawaii, uh, Nevada, and California. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone else impacted. Well, you know, I don't think they went through Utah uh, <laughs> over and yeah, they. One partial solution, it wouldn't be, it's not a complete answer to your question, would be the president could invoke the rarity of, of a national security situation where the president is permitted to invoke all national guards, not merely the not merely the state of California. And it certainly mm -hmm. seems like this is the it, that that has a constitutional basis in the militia clause. This seems to be the situation that where it might be pushing the definition of insurrection and invasion. It is an invasion, 
Uh, but I, I would be hard pressed to believe that you would find Congress fighting the president if he or she invoked this to give like assistance from, say, Illinois and Arizona's National Guards to come to the assistance of California in this particular situation. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's where the rally around the flag effect would take place. That, mm. you know, it's post 9 11, all the firefighters from across the country going to New York to help. Yeah. Or uh, with some of the big fires in California, you know, firefighters from across the state going to help because they sense the call. And if <clears throat> people want help, if it happens to them, and lawyers would find a way to make it work, county council would get very creative with like, all right, here's what we're doing. Let's go. And uh, God bless them for that. Um it's a good thing we don't get have emergencies like this on a regular basis, because uh, it would wear everybody out. But yeah, they would find a way. Now we we have a couple other issues. So before we get into uh, bigamy, because there's way more bigamy <laughs> issues. Uh, so uh, much bigamy. <laughs> I, again, something I never thought I would have to talk about but uh kate you did some analysis that would actually be really good for a blog post about the false alarm that was used in seattle uh in order yeah. to go save may could you break that down for us yeah so i nerded it out a little bit um and i did a little research because i was like you know not only does tim cause this false alarm but monarch goes on the air and at first blush kind of takes ownership for it though the way specific way that she phrases it actually I'm like I think she might have managed to avoid giving Monarch full liability for it but Tim is definitely in criminal trouble in Seattle because they have Washington State has um, a statute about false emergencies basically and if you are going to it's called a false the false reporting statute um, and you are guilty of it if you, with knowledge that you are giving a false report, you know that the information is false, you you make a report of alleged of an alleged occurrence, sorry, I can't speak, of an alleged occurrence or impending occurrence, knowing that it is false and that it is likely to cause evacuation of a building or a transport facility, a public inconvenience or alarm, or an emergency response. So he's doing it specifically to evacuate AET so that they can get in. So obviously he knows that that's what's going to happen. Um, he also obviously knows that it's false. I don't know who he calls because they leave that mysterious. He like makes a phone call and then the emergency goes out. So whoever helped him out is probably also in trouble. <laughs> um, and then it's just a matter of degree. So like people start panicking immediately as soon as this thing goes off and you see emergency vehicles going. I, I don't think it's far-fetched to think that in a panic like that, where we've already established there are probably, you know, the public doesn't know where to go or what to do. It's just saying like a giant monster is coming for you. Do something, you know, people are going to freak out. There are going to be car accidents. People are going to get run over. I, I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that someone might have died in the course of the panic. Um, and if someone dies as a proximate result of that false report, um, it could be a first degree 
and and he could be going to prison for a felony um and then monarch goes on the air he's the one who convinces verdugo to go on the air by the way and talk about it um and she the way she phrases it i rewatched this again before this episode i like i said nerded out she said we take measures to protect citizens including the emergency system that was triggered yesterday she does not say that we triggered she just says that it was triggered and then she says fortunately it was a false alarm and we but then she does say we regret any distress it may have caused which sounds a little bit like taking a responsibility so i'm curious about monarch's liability for it but i definitely think tim is in trouble if anyone catches him for <laughs> this is where i think sovereign immunity will play an issue as a government agency and trying to sue a government agency is difficult uh because there's a bunch of hoops to jump through if but are then you have government agency. but then you have tim acting outside of his authority to trigger that alarm he was and also suspended at the time by monarch yes when he does it so there's that's a factor so does this mean that they can just go after tim like how would that work and that'd be interesting in legal analysis to figure out what what causes of action exist against monarch and any against their suspended employee and what kind of respondent superior uh, uh liability exists as well because tim's not the deep pocket in this story like no. you, you want to go for the black ops, you know, the, the people <laughs> who can cut a check. Uh, <laughs> well, and this is a criminal statute, right? So this would be okay. Tim's criminal liability. I didn't look into the civil at all. Um, but I mean, I can see like people going after, you know, intentional infliction of emotional distress. You let a false alarm go out. There was this hugely traumatic event on G-Day. Some people may have relocated, you know, maybe there. Um, you know, there. I, I can see some claims happening. I wonder what kind of legal fallout happened in Hawaii at the end of 2016 or beginning of 2017 when everyone in Hawaii got the message out there's an incoming ICBM uh-huh take shelter uh I had a buddy there making Facebook comments about I'm in traffic and it says a nuclear missile is going to hit and the oh the, the the governor was locked out of their Twitter account so it took a <clears throat> took a little too long to issue a corrective statement of whoops that was that that should not have gone off like that and because people freaked out yeah right <laughs> rightfully so yeah rightfully, <laughs> if everyone's phone goes up with there's an ICBM on its way. You know, do you, do you make a call and say goodbye? Like, what do you, I mean, you're not, yeah. you're the target. Like, where are you going to go? So Especially I'm sure somewhere like Hawaii, where do you go? I mean, it's an, you're on an island. Like where, <laughs> how are you getting out, you know, in time? I'll, I'll tell you, I grew up in Colorado Springs, which is oh, often cited as one of the five most likely in a nuclear uh -huh, well. <laughs> <laughs> with NORAD and Inverac. and we universally whatever your political philosophy was always like I'm glad I am I want I don't want to survive this if mm -hmm. if 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 that weapon is coming I'm happy that it's it's a uh that I'm not going to be there to see the world after whatever is about to come with multiple warheads so that that was my I, I I don't mean 
Now I'm the half glass full seat or empty. Now see what you guys did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry we broke you. I mean, they, <laughs> makes you feel better. The Bay Area had 11 nuclear targets in it. I don't know if we still do, but you know, Moffett Field, Blue Cube, like you know, Alameda when it was uh, a naval base, Treasure Island, each had an, its own ICBM pointed at it. <laughs> and with redundancy, with redundancy in case one missed. So, yeah. Um, good thing the Cold War's over. Uh, <laughs> uh, scary. Uh, with that, uh, great analysis, Kate. <laughs> like, just... I, it popped in my head and I was like, you know what? I haven't nerded out on the law in a while because I haven't been, you know, an active attorney for a little bit. So it's fun. It's fun to get to go back in and be like, what are the elements? <laughs> it was also pretty easy when it was pretty obvious that Tim was uh he's 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 in trouble. Which is a shame. I loved him. Yeah, he, he went to MVP status. He starts out as kind of slimy and then all of a sudden turns into like cool dude. Like he <laughs> That's kind of what I love about the writing is like no one is black and white in the show. Like even Verdugo, you expect her to be kind of the sinister overlord of monarch, whatever. And by the end you're like, you know what? She's kind of just doing her best. <laughs> like everyone's just trying to figure themselves out. But yeah, you know, I don't think she's great, but no one is just pure evil, you know. I, I like that. I like a complex well, I mean they're all showing they're all showing up to work after G Day. So it's not like everyone has like crazy hair and they're not sleeping anymore and everyone's just <laughs> permanently freaked out. They jumped, I mean, what, Tim's fine. They jumped two <laughs> years at the end. And he's still doing fine. He's good. He's, he's on a new tropical island. He's got a little limp, but he's living his best life. Well, he's, yeah. it's okay. Tim's it's okay. fine. They can't find him. <laughs> Monarch probably covered his ass. And that's probably what happened. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, oh yeah, with a work-related injury. So, so Godzilla hit the helicopter and you're the sole survivor who had to crawl out. I was so happy when he crawled out of that, like Boba Fett out of the Sarlacc pit. I was just like, <laughs> yes, Tim, <laughs> you're alive. I was very sad when Tim was, I was taking notes on the episodes because I knew I was going to be on here. And I think I even wrote like, Tim, no, like in my notes. <laughs> so well, sad that I thought he was gone. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's in with Tim's with Apex at the end though. Yes. Yeah, well, they rebranded. Yeah. Oh, yeah, which is AET rebranded, right? If I follow yeah. correctly. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. That was that was clever since you know, um since the uh Godzilla vs. Kong lacked a lot of thought. Um mm -hmm. toward American audiences don't need plot, they just want to see the monster <laughs> punch each other. Therefore, we're gonna dumb it down. Bright lights, bright lights, uh opposed to this, which has compelling human characters in the awesome. 1950s yeah. uh less so in present day but uh you don't anywho. think the present day characters are as compelling as the 1950s no. characters i no, think I kate's very interesting not just because she shares my name but even though she spells it wrong um but she is i'm kidding there's no wrong way uh <laughs> But I, I, I was surprised they didn't kind of lean into it more. But I also like that they don't spoon feed you. But the fact that it's revealed that she was cheating on her girlfriend at the time, like that has to have <laughs> psychological implications for her dealing with her father being, having but two she, wives, you know, and like. She, 
it does infidelity just run in the family because <laughs> she didn't know daddy had a secret family at that point no she so didn't she... but i feel like when she finds that that's like another layer you know of that kind of trauma and uh an interesting thing about her she's a relationship disaster uh that's she uh is. yeah just well, but I agree. I, I love to, the 1950s stuff. Like I will I say, to, I came to got to Monarch for the monsters, and I stayed a little bit for Anders Holm in the 1950s outfits. Like, it's good stuff. <laughs> well, I'm going to put on my lawyer hat and put Josh on the stand on the on yeah the stand. What is Kate then? Is she a 50s or is she a 2017 character? Oh, you mean uh, uh, K? Not K. Yeah. K. Yeah, grandma. Okay. Yeah. 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 Grandma. <laughs> well, first, she's awesome. And she's this, my favorite. This to the, she, she, she's, she's well developed. She's smart. They, the actress does a good job. The, the chemistry she's between the, the, the 50s trio just felt more connected and I, I do agree with that yeah because the the 21st century trio is like all emotionally damaged and can't function and keeps doing self-destructive behavior between all of them they're all self-destructive which is really hard for me to just accept with step up i mean anywho uh i even like general puckett mm -hmm. yeah it's just yeah, it yeah by the end you're like uh oh, yeah He's not so bad. <laughs> Makes yeah. sense. Uh, again, but uh, Kay raises the issue of being presumed killed in action and then found years later. So first round is with Shaw, who loses 20 years. You know, he's in the in-between for a week, mm -hmm. and he comes out and it's 20 years later. And then Kay, it's like 57 years later. And that's a hard hit. So let's talk with shoppers because the way they treat him is uh, one, being confused, and that's okay. I get being confused with what do we do here because this dude hasn't aged and no one's seen him for 20 years and he's still in the orange flight suit. What do we do? Uh, they institutionalize him. Mm -hmm. And then they put him into an old folks home that's a prison. And I wasn't clear if he surfaced in Japan or if he surfaced in New Jersey. If he surfaced in Japan, he's in Japan. I'm pretty positive. I think it's Japan too. Yeah. And did okay. you did you get the vibe that the nurse is his is Hiroshi's Japanese wife? One of the wives. Yeah. 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 Which makes mm -hmm. me feel like I'm just this is I'm going off the topic, but thinking back to your discussion on the first episode about like who was in a relationship with first yeah anyway so which again if the japanese wife was the first wife that would nullify the california marriage right unless they were already married pre-1982 which we don't know but more not in a moment because we got there's fun with bigamy sorry so, i jumped jump again <clears throat> uh it's okay the kia status like, he would be presumed dead after seven years. There isn't a ton of case law with people coming back to life. I remember one insurance case that I found where somebody had run away in the early 20th century. You know, the time period passed. 
the wife got the money. Dude's found, and the insurance company wants the money back because it turns out the dude's alive. I remember right, the wife got to keep it. Uh, I would hope which, so. Yeah, which is good. Um, bringing someone back to life, well, in the 21st century is harder than it would be in, say, like 1982 because we don't have the same records. They didn't have the same records, uh, the databases that they have. So faking, this person grew up here. And as long as no one goes digging too far, they'll be fine uh, with, with records. In the modern era, with digital medical records and birth certificates and all of that stuff and ancestry.com and DNA tests, like this is way harder to bring someone back because it's like wow she's 103 oh okay and do you, does she get back pay because she was a u.s government employee who was presumed lost and how does that work like we've again we've lost service members who've been found uh you know people who were pow's that it wasn't sure what their status was mm -hmm. so again it's like there's some big unknowns here for both Shaw. I mean, I, Shaw's treatment is unconscionable because they just will medicate him and, and basically put him in, you know, into a prison, and uh, uh, making you know she like not a good nephew, and uh, and like he goes like a decade without visiting or something insane. So again, just you know, dude needed therapy. Uh, <laughs> It's a rough one. It's a rough one. For Kay, they, they need to bring her back to life. And there's going to be, that's where lawyers come in. It's like, in a world after G-Day, it's like, so what happened? Okay, we're going to have to be more creative going forward. So like, the suspension of disbelief of being shocked with like, so this lady was uh, trapped in this in-between world. For her, it was 57 days, but for us, it was 57 years. So uh, we need to get her some um, back pay and get her set up in this day and age. And it's an HR nightmare uh, at that point. But I think it's solvable. Can I be the evil government attorney? Oh, absolutely. Because, again, there, there's going to be a lawyer <laughs> arguing, oh, hell no. I, I, uh, I go in and the, uh, for the DOJ and I go, by her own admission, she is a victim of of a uh, relativistic and gravitational time dilation. She's only entitled to 57 days back pay. It doesn't matter that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and and I am using Einstein as my key witness. <laughs> Someone get him. Yeah, good luck with that seance to bring him in. So yeah. I don't know if you're going to swear him in with that or if you're gonna be, uh, how that's, that's going to work. But uh, Howard too, yeah. <laughs> um, but well, if if they want to play the game of only fifty seven days worth of back pay, then the issue is, are you firing me? Because then that could be wrongful termination that they're doing because she wasn't absent without leave for her. It was just fifty seven days, and she can be rightfully ticked off about it. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I'm like yep. unclear if they are government employees, right? Because like, that's the other thing is what <laughs> what Verdugo says about the about Monarch when she's making themselves public is that they are 
uh, what does she say? A global collaboration between governmental and scientific agencies. So, and she's a scientist, but she, is she a scientist for the U.S. government, for the military? She was a government, she, U.S. government employee, DOD at that point. She was. Okay. Okay. Cool. Just making sure. Well, <laughs> I, I'll be evil government attorney come back again and go, oh, no, I'm going to reinstate her at her prior position. I believe in 1955 uh, dollars, she was being probably paid $200 a month. Yeah, but there was, that, that would fall into the unconscionable statute. Of, I was going to say. If you're giving back, oh, you back her, renegotiate. And again, there would be a, plenty of lawyers who would step up for, she fought on monsters for two months in her world. And you want to be a schmuck about it? Yeah, okay. she has such unique scientific insight into this issue that is a global crisis. You really want to get her off the payroll and have her go work for someone else? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Good, good evil her. government lawyer? Unless the Department of Justice tells me otherwise, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a company man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. man in black the there you go yeah <laughs> that government money is tight yeah. yes can't just be given out paychecks <laughs> absolutely um let's get into bigamy because we know a little bit more um uh, <laughs> and but more questions as well we yeah. don't know who was married first we do know at the end when the husband goes by his tokyo wife's house and she gives him the keys in his you know the box and sends him on his way he oh references amazing move by her by the way to be like our son deserves to know his father so call him when you're safe and then drops the wedding ring in the box Woo! stone cold amazing earned it yeah uh and also disappearing, like he could have called and said, I'm alive, but no, yeah. too busy. Uh, Couldn't be bothered. No, but he references he has to go back to San Francisco for the divorce. So a couple ways that this could play out. One, if the San Francisco marriage was second, she could try nullifying the marriage outright because the marriage would have never been effective because the there was he was already married. And California courts would recognize a San Francisco marriage, excuse me, a marriage from a, another country. So no way out of that one. Uh, and we don't know, his employer clearly didn't know he was double married. And that is weird. They were, they did know, they only knew about the Californian spouse. Mm -hmm. because he made efforts for a uh, wife and child to make it to Reno after G-Day. Yep. So. Well, and then there's the issue that you all got into a little bit about, I mean, Hiroshi's, like, citizenship as well, and, like, which, because... As we find out, he's not actually Bill's biological kid. Yeah, that was a surprise. Yeah. 
and brought him in on a visa from Japan when he was little. So there's also that. I mean, presumably, Bill formally adopted him. Um, and it does seem like they were married. They're both wearing wedding rings in the last episode that you see them in. But mm, I don't know. Yeah. Another, yeah, there's a lot. Another it's um, a lot there. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we don't need to rehash all the fraud issues and everything, but uh, crimes well, were committed. <laughs> well, a little detail there. Bill was a, a government or was an army officer, right? He, he was a naval officer and then naval he was, officer. So and then he would have been if, a civilian employee. So his son would ordinarily carry under the special case of being a U.S. citizen if born right. on the base or or the. So I always took that to mean that he was probably a U.S. a joint Japanese U.S. citizen if he wanted to be. Yeah, and if, if Bill adopted him, it would make sense he would become a U.S. citizen, right? Or at least. Yeah, which I think it's fair to assume he did. We don't know for sure, but I mean, he takes his last name. He's obviously his sole like guardian after right. she dies, or he and Shaw. Are, I don't know, but he's his, you know, referred to as his father. And I mean, it wouldn't surprise me either. Obviously, he's close with Puckett. Like, if the military pulled some strings about it, also if there were any issues. Yeah, for they, they might feel bad at that point, but like we're gonna we're gonna make this work, and uh, yeah, we're just gonna make this work right now. So yeah, that's that's a lot from Monarch. Um, Presume dead people coming back, all of that stuff, uh, and of course giant monsters. Of course, that small detail. Again, there was the right amount of giant monsters that truly do highlight you can have human characters in these shows and you shouldn't just go to big noise, big noise. Agreed. But I digress. So, uh, Kate, where can people find your podcast and uh, your social media handles? Uh, yeah, well, the podcast is The Legal Burnouts and we are on everything as such we are on linkedin uh tiktok instagram um as the legal burnouts and then i am on tiktok and instagram as a bridal party of five that is my handle um and then i'm also on linkedin feel free to connect with me there outstanding you don't seem Monty. burned out to me <laughs> well and nani might have been recovering for a couple of years <laughs> that's why if you had known me in the height of my uh <laughs> My legal practice, you would have uh, felt differently about me, probably. I was exhausted. <laughs> yeah, that happens. That happens yeah. to lots. So with everyone, wherever you are, stay safe. Wherever you listen to us, please leave a review. We appreciate those greatly. And stay safe, stay healthy, and above all else, stay geeky. Take care.